Thank you, Chad, for saying that. I've already off wanted to offer thanks to those who have already reached out to me and, and to Mark. We know that we are covered in prayer in this place, and for that we are very grateful. Um, our scripture this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark in our next week on the sermon series, Jesus Was Not a Nice Guy, uh, that Corey Wilcoxon originally put together and kindly let me look at and uh, work through. Uh, in the Gospel of Mark, it's chapter 4, starting in verse 35. And it says, On that day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. Other boats were with him, and a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that the boat was already being swamped. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion, and they woke him up and said, Teacher, do you not care? that we are perishing? He woke up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. Then the wind ceased, and there was a dead calm. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great awe and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? So when I was taking biblical Greek in seminary, this was one of the passages we were asked to translate. It, was, it might have been the one from John. I don't know if it was from Mark, but it was this story that we were asked to translate. And I had a wonderful professor in that class, Professor Camp. My mom actually got to meet him. Um, and what I remember about that, this particular passage in translating, other than it was just really hard, <laughs> other than that, was that Dr. Kant compared uh, this story and a verse from this story to a Doors song. <laughs> I thought of <laughs> he was. He says, Jesus says, let us pass over unto the other side. What Dr. Kant was talking about, and Dr. Kant knew 10 languages, five dead ones, five living ones, had written hundreds of pages on the word fish, you know, as you do throughout history. Uh, but he said, this story is about being in liminal spaces. He said they were on one side when Jesus had been teaching on land, but they were about to move to another different space. And so on the boat, they were in an in-between place. He said, as Jim Morrison said, they were about to break on through to the other side. But the disciples didn't know this when they got on that boat. And so often we don't know when we're in a liminal space when we're in an in-between time when one thing has ended but we haven't quite broken through to see what the new thing is going to be what the next thing is going to be but when we're there we feel unmoored it's almost like being in a boat that's rocking and we can't get our footing and it's uncomfortable you know, listening to the disciples, apparently for them it was more than uncomfortable, it was terrifying. But for Jesus, apparently he just felt tired. Because <laughs> he just curls up on a cushion in the boat and he lets the waves put him to sleep, even when the waves apparently start coming into the boat. He's so tired, he sleeps through the first part of this storm that threatens to capsize the boat. You know, and anybody reading this, you're thinking, who sleeps through that kind of thing? Apparently Jesus does. But not the disciples. The disciples are terrified like normal people would be, like most people would be. And after doing everything they know how to do, they turn to Jesus and they cry to him and they, says, they say, do you not care that we are perishing? 
It sounds so desperate, and I'm sure it was. In that moment, it felt like everything they thought they knew about Jesus was not, they weren't experiencing it themselves in that moment. You know, they, they had seen him. What they're asking is, does Jesus care about us right now? Because they had seen him care about people who had had demons and people who had had leprosy and other illnesses, even cared about Simon's mother-in-law enough to heal her. But in this moment, with his closest companions, with those who are following him, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like that. And there was no way to read this passage after this year and not feel like there are millions of people crying to Jesus right now, saying, do you not care that we are perishing? That could be anybody who's suffering from the virus in any number of ways, whether that's physically or emotionally or economically. It could be people frustrated with how politics, but mostly social media, has divided us into camps where we can't listen and we can't hear each other anymore. And because of all the noise, we've become unmoored and unstable, and we haven't been able to rely on our regular routines. We can't go out like we used to, or work the way we used to, or visit family, or travel, or even sit in church together and sing songs together like we used to. We can't give hugs when people are hurting or visit people when they're sick. And we realize things we never knew we should have appreciated when we were on that shore before. It made me think about, what were we complaining about in January? We were complaining about something, right? Can I get a nod? I'll get a nod. I can't get amens, but I can get a nod. Like, we, I'm sure we were all complaining about something. I just can't remember what it is now. <laughs> or it just doesn't seem that important. Because we've been in this, the middle of an incredibly long storm, and some days it feels like Jesus is asleep. And when reading this passage this week, I thought, boy, I wish I had the power to wake Jesus up. Or do I? Because I wonder the Jesus, the, the Jesus, the disciples, I wonder what exactly the disciples thought Jesus was going to do in that moment. Because they clearly weren't expecting what he did do. I don't know if they thought he was going to wake up and had a prayer that would be like a direct line to God, or they just said, can you at least get a bucket and help, you know, bail some of the water out? Can you do something? But the real thing they were asking, the bigger thing was, are you really with us? <laughs> it doesn't feel like you are with us right now. Well, whatever they thought, they got him awake, and as soon as he woke up, he went straight to it. He woke up, and he rebuked the wind, and he said to the sea, be still. Peace. You have to take a moment and think about how loud would it have been in that boat, in an open boat on open sea in the middle of a storm. And then you have to think, how loud did Jesus have to be to be heard over that so they even know what he said? And what kind of authority do you need to get the winds and the seas not just to listen to you, but to obey you? This is not a voice we're used to hearing from Jesus. I wonder, is this 
what the voice sounded like at his baptism, literally the voice from heaven, saying, this is my son. Is this what the voice of God sounded like at creation when he said, let there be light, and it came into existence? Clearly, it had to be loud, but not out of control, but with a particular kind of deep and apparently divine authority. The voice is so unrecognizable, the disciples ask, who is this? Who is in the boat with us? They know the Jesus that teaches and heals and calls disciples. They had seen rabbis and teachers like that before, ones who could give phenomenal sermons and teach amazing lessons and knew how to craft a story and a parable. They even saw some rabbis who were able to miraculously heal. They had seen those things before, but they had never known anyone who could speak with God's voice and calm the sea. Who is this Jesus? And we know that this idea is more than about stilling a particular storm in a particular place, because we've talked about this here before, everything that the sea represented in the ancient world. It's everything uncontrollable. It's everything unknown. They literally thought it might be where evil lived. There were, they thought there were actual sea monsters. And the more we go into the deep sea, apparently there are pretty weird monsters down there. Fortunately, they stay down there. But that the sea represents everything we can't control. A place that can swallow whole boats and fleets and all the people in it in one storm. So it's important that the very beginning of our story in Genesis shows that we follow and believe in a God who has control over those uncontrollable waters. We know that it's God who tells Moses to raise his staff and the waters of the Red Sea part so they can walk through to freedom. The story reminds us that calming storms and parting seas and defeating evil, that's work that only God has the power to do and overcome. But these disciples are in the boat with Jesus, born of Mary of Nazareth, who is able to do this, to rebuke the wind and calm the sea. The boats weren't that big. The, Jesus would have been a little scary <laughs> when he did this. And I agree with Corey that Jesus being scary is, in fact, good news. That Jesus should be a little scary when we don't domesticate him. And what we talked about that last week and the week before, and again, it's this reminder that when we make Jesus too much in our own image, too much like us, whether we're from a Midwestern town in America or we're a Christian on the river in the Democratic Republic of Congo, or we're on the Mediterranean Sea near Italy, when Jesus starts to look like us or sound like us or love and value all the things that we love and value, then we start to get a little too comfortable with Jesus and automatically assume that he would be comfortable with us. 
And when we get comfortable, then we can just not contend or deal or address with a Jesus who is powerful enough to invoke the voice of God and still seas and silent winds and preach like last week about fire and division. And as we said, this is not just about Jesus stilling a particular storm at a particular time, but something bigger than that. Because it's not saying, like the disciples, if we run into trouble and we push the button and we ask Jesus for help, that Jesus always removes the danger because that's not always what happens. But when the, the seas are stormy and everything is uncertain and unknown, Jesus will speak peace to us. Jesus will speak peace to us in the boat because he's there with us. And as your pastor, I have been hearing about the boats that you are in and the storms that you are in the midst of. There is so much struggle and so much pain, so much uncertainty and so much that is unfair right now, both about what's happening to all of us, but what I'm hearing about happening in individual homes and families, the specific storms that are raging in our lives, threatening to capsize us, but that's why this story is so perfect for right now to remind us that we are not just following some regular rabbi or teacher or someone just to take casually. I realized when Jesus turned back to the disciples and asked them, why do you have such little faith? He could have said, I am the scariest thing out here right now, not the storms. My power is much greater than the winds and the seas and what you are afraid of. I think we forget from the Old Testament stories that when they built the ark and they built the temple, they didn't build those for God. God didn't need those things. Those were built for the humans to protect them. The temple was built with the holies of holies so far away and protected because people were scared to approach the presence of God because God is so powerful. Our God can also send a flood that covered the earth. This is a God who can part the seas. Humans don't know how to do that yet, thank goodness. Priests took turns approaching the altar because they were afraid of getting too close to the power of of God. God doesn't want us to live in fear, but we can't take God's power for granted how big it is. The closest and silliest example of this, of course, comes from Indiana Jones <laughs> and the Ark of the Covenant. In the movie, uh, Indy and uh, his friend are the only ones who don't look directly at the power and the presence of God because it Kills everyone who does. They also happen to be Nazis, so that works out. But he is fearful of how powerful God truly can be. And the story today says we are in the same boat with that power. Or what I'd like to say is that power is in our boat 
That power has made a covenant with us. That power has made a promise to be with us through every single storm we ever face. That power is for us. And that power is with us. Now this presence isn't the same kind like when an elder visits us or you get a phone call from a church member. This is the one who can rebuke the wind. So you can't quite cuddle up with this or get too comfortable next to this Jesus. But I also know that this is the Jesus that I want on my side when I cry out and say, do you not care that I am perishing? I want this Jesus who wakes up and immediately speaks with authority and power so that the seas that I can't possibly imagine how I'll ever get through them will listen. If he can calm those waters, can he not also offer us real and lasting peace in the face of our own fears and anxieties and uncertainties? And these days, we know no one is sailing on entirely smooth seas, but we also know some boats are more precarious than others. We know we're all far from shore, and we don't exactly know how we're going to get back to it or what it's going to look like. We know it's definitely going to be a different shore than the one we started from, but we're still waiting to break on through to the other side. But no matter what, I have faith that Jesus is, in fact, still in the boat with us. He might be a little scary, (laughs) but if there has ever been a moment when we need that kind of power, it's now to help us navigate these storms right now. I believe he has the power to bring peace to things that we have struggled with for an incredibly long time, whether that's as a church or as a society or in our families or just as the human race, things that we need to figure out. He can bring peace to that. So I invite us to remember he is not asleep. He is still with us. He is still the son of the living God, the anointed one, the one who has already come to save us. And as he says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me.